This is the second episode of our podcast, Putting Ourselves in the Picture, as part of an AHRC UKRI Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Fellowship with Fast Forward Women in Photography. I'm Anna Fox, a photographer and professor of photography at University for the Creative Arts in Farnham, and I created Fast Forward with my colleague Karen Noor in 2014 to promote and engage with women in photography across the globe. I'm Maria Kapaeva, I'm artist, photography tutor, and I have been working with Anna on a fast forward since its beginning from 2014. And in this episode, we are taking a closer look at our manifesto, which aims to bring people and organizations together for creating more visibility for women photographers. And to enable everyone to have access to photography as a medium meaning that we have a more diverse and representative view of the world. We wanted to hear from people who work in photography, as practitioners, as educators, researchers and curators, about their take on the points outlined in the manifesto. What feels particularly relevant to them and how can we make sure these changes are implemented in the future? We started by speaking to Jean Wenwright, who is a professor of contemporary art and photography at University for the Creative Arts, and she's also a part of our steering committee at Fast Forward. We were thinking about our manifesto, which you were also kind of involved in writing it up and consulting us in it. Maybe you can kind of say a few words why you think this manifesto you felt is so important from your position. One of the most important things, I think, about the manifesto is it very clearly explains what the objectives are. One of the key objectives is about women photographers playing a vital role in our community, and yet their story is being hidden, lost or dismissed. And that seems such a key to fast forward, both from the manifesto and the work that's been done over the last nearly seven years now. That fascinates me because over those years, there has been changes, not enough change, but things have started to change. And what I find always so exciting about being involved with Fast Forward is it plots a lot of those changes and a lot of the subtleties of what's happening, but it also exposes, it's exposing structures, museum structures, it's exposing collectors, it's, I don't mean exposing collectors per se, obviously, but it's exposing decisions that are made and what Fast Forward's been trying to look at is the roots before it gets to the trunk and the branches, before it gets into the museums, what's happening? Why are decisions being made at that level? And the manifesto is a call, if you like, to publicise what is happening before it's too late. And we have a situation where things are irreparably lost because they've not been able to grow up the system. Do you kind of remember, for example, when you just started your career, how much it has changed, you think, now been working in an institution for you? I think that having something behind you, and by that I mean an academic establishment, a gallery, some system behind you, 
that network, that system really is so helpful. Often when I've interviewed artists and photographers and particularly women photographers, they've often talked about that lucky break you know that that kind of moment where they sat next to somebody somewhere and talked about their work and kind of got it in front of them or they happened to be at a party or at an exhibition or at a conference and somehow those conversations happened and I think those opportunities do make a huge difference to one's career and also one's visibility. Anna, was it in your experience also you would say it was more luck rather than actually something more regular building up career? I was desperate to get to art school because the limits for women in any kind of career were enormous. I grew up in the countryside and there was so little you could do to earn reasonable money as a woman in the late 1970s, early 1980s. So I don't know about luck. I think I I feel like the networks in photography were so driven and still are so driven by men. That male network in photography is so strong that it's harder for women to get into that network. Just commenting on what you're saying, Anna, by the time I moved into the commercial art world, which I did for a time, it was the time of the YBAs. And at that time, there was an emphasis on their Sarah Lucas's, the Tracy Emma's, the Gillian Waring's. So there was a kind of exposure of women to a certain extent, but obviously not of a global nature. I'm talking YBAs, young British artists. And I remember having conversations with people when the YBAs were first starting out about quiet artists. And in that, I include photographers, people who weren't the big personalities. What would happen to them if it was all about the cult of personality? It's so interesting what we've come across in the Fast Forward project so far, both in the workshops and in the conferences. It's sort of turning out these hidden stories that aren't, if you like, the art stars or the top commercial photographers, but they have had very serious and interesting careers. And I suppose that's one of the problems of things like the art marketplace is that it does sort of tend to create these superstar people. And there have been some good superstar women artists coming up through that marketplace. Inevitably, it seems like the stories of the women photographers who aren't in these great sort of high echelons of the selling world or the museum world or whatever, or the commercial world these are the stories that really go missing I just think by having all these conferences by having the conversations by having the workshops there's something that clicks that makes people remember and makes people go looking a little bit wider than they would when they're doing their research like curators and editors and so on and so forth we also found ourselves doing something else during the fast forward project which was repeating people's names repeating our names and repeating other photographers names it's something really important it's a bit like therapy isn't it (laughs) repetitive action (laughs) what I started to do and I actually just um, story from my teaching life Uh, recently I was teaching a course and so I asked the students to make a list to write down who they know female photographers then we went to the female poets writers composers and then what i did i compiled all their names in one list and actually this whole list together it was incredible i didn't know maybe half of this list 
So, and I kind of find this is the way of uh, bringing the names to the younger generation that they start to learn and exchange by a bit of small tasks, like sort of forcing them start to think about that. Because I do agree, even I was educated in a way, if you ask me top uh, five, ten photographers, the first names by default come men. So I decided to change it inside myself. I want to have a top, at least mixed or women to have in my head. But if I can change that default for my students, that will be also great. I think that's fantastic. Maria, what you just said. I just wanted to have a final thing about what has happened in the past year, because I think it is important. It's to do with the kind of network and Google searches and visibility. So we now have got very much more used to the Zoom culture, where we can connect more easily with people from other countries, other nations, other nationalities, etc., particularly with women. I think this is really important because it's opening up dialogues, it's educating, and I think to capture that, to teach it, to raise awareness of these other voices, it does make a difference. And it is great when you look at a list and there are several people on it. You think, oh, I've never heard of that. I better look at that. You know, I better find out about that Ugandan photographer or that Ghanaian photographer that I might not have been aware of. I think that's marvellous. It's such an exciting time to be working on this project. And when we've got abilities to capture material, to capture stats, to look at, policies in the very moment of change. It's really interesting listening to Jean commenting on that, the way um, the internet and Zoom have enabled us to hear and see things that we'd never have seen in the past. Access to people's stories and seeing their images is an incredible privilege and it's really helpful for women in photography. I also really remember when the internet first became available. I mean, I was a woman on my own with two small children and being able to network through emailing people and researching on the internet absolutely changed my life. Yeah, I think I also would like to highlight for us, it is sort of an opportunity to make more visible perspectives and narratives other than from the West where our project is based. And then also I think it helped us to learn from other parts of the world and the people from different regions, how actually they see histories and current events, their perspectives. Yeah, it's really true that I do want to emphasise as well how, you know, I still feel that the face-to-face meetings that we've had through our conferences and our research workshops have been hugely inspiring, but also influential in developing people's ideas around the photographies of the world. Yes, absolutely. And I think, uh, ironically, the pandemic situation kind of even helped to bring that internet community together and pay more attention and at what is going on online. Something I also find fascinating is how women photographers have navigated the art world space across different generations. Hannah Stark is not only a female photographer, but has been at the forefront of disrupting how women are captured through the lens. I've been a photographer working with women as my subject matter for about 25 years now. 
and I'm a photographer and have been a photographer for it seems like over 40 years based in London. And Karen also you have been professor of photography at University for the Creative Arts for over a decade. We've both been working together on fast forward women in photography and many other things. We're asking that we recognise and value women artists and photographers and the role they play in society. We want to get all the information and stories and histories about women in photography into the curricula at every level. But also, you know, support women in photography, in education and prepare them for, you know, how their lives might be working in the photography world. It's interesting to ask something about what kind of experience either of you might have had when you originally left university and started to work as a photographer. How easy or difficult was it as a woman and how did your education prepare you for that? Hannah, I'll start with you. I don't think anybody had really thought about it, to be honest. It was, you know, you make your way in the world, in the world of photography, just the same way as your male counterpart. The problem was that some of your experiences were different and there was kind of no understanding of why it might be different for women in a male-dominated industry. So I think it's changed a lot and obviously, you know, the whole culture has changed a lot. And Karen, what about you? Because I know you graduated from university quite a few years before Hannah did, like me. That's right. Well, I graduated in 1980 and that was some years before you, Anna. And it made a big difference because when I was a student, you know, I was very aware of feminism and the patriarchal order of things. In fact, even my work, Belgravia, also shows the very different roles women and men occupy, even in upper class, you know, society in Britain under Thatcherism at a particular moment in time. So I was very politicized through learning and reading on the course and being taught by tutors who even men called themselves feminists. So I had very much an awareness that the rules were against me, if, as it were, and that I had to be pretty confident and strong and assertive in order to show my work. And because I come from a background of white privilege and affluence, I had that confidence because I went to a very good high school. I was very well read. You know, I could speak several languages. I was confident. I felt good within myself and confident enough. But I think most women don't have that advantage. And that's the problem. So by the time we come to you, Anna, we're in post-feminism where your generation reacted against feminism and saw it as maybe a bit puritanical, which aspects of it definitely were. I also felt that. I graduated at a time where there was a kind of backlash. We were just thinking, you know, I want to do it like a man, for example. (laughs) I think the thing that really surprised me, well, I, first of all, I studied with mostly men and taught mostly by men, apart from Anne Williams. And we were also integrated in the film, the animation department and the film department was certainly mostly guys. And I had my first child shortly after I graduated, actually. I think the thing that took me by surprise most was realising that I wasn't going to be able to work in the commercial side of photography with small children. I found that a huge irritation because we all know that arts-based photography is very difficult to earn a living from. And 
I wanted to earn a living. I wanted to have children. I wanted to do photography. And that was all very difficult. I decided that I would not have kids right away, that I wanted to establish my name in the industry or in the fine art world, if you like, of photography. So I waited till I was 37 before I had my one and only child. I had a child with my ex-husband now who died recently, Barry Shaw, who was, a, you know, a new man type, although he was a practicing architect. He would mind the baby while I traveled to Europe for the openings of my show and didn't always come with me, sometimes did. But he was the man, you know, who also covered for childcare for me. So it was quite difficult, but yet I was with a man who was very supportive of my career in that sense, although we had rows about it all the time. Each time I left, there'd be a row. It's interesting, actually, we're coming from different generations and different experiences of feminism because I was very keen to call myself a female photographer, which um, is probably very 90s, actually. I guess I was quite protected from the beginning because I was quite successful from the beginning. So I wasn't exposed to that many power plays or that many abuses of power. You know, I had no patience for any game playing and was in strong enough position to say so. It's interesting that you said, Anna, that you wanted to do it. Not you wanted, but the general idea for a woman was they wanted to be equal to a man and do it like a man. Whereas I think when I came along the scene with photography, I really wanted to see the female perspective for so many reasons, mainly, you know, the fact that it was not very well represented, but I thought it was really important, you know, it's really important to create a visual culture that's balanced, that represents everyone that, you know, consumes it. And, you know, I think as just feisty from Northern Ireland, if I saw something that I thought was wrong or unfair, I was quite prepared to stand up for it. You can't get punished for standing up for things like that. That's uh, the lesson that you learn. And I think that's why what we're doing today and having this discussion is really important because you're breaking the silence so those powers of punishment or abuses of power you can't really get away with them anymore because women talk women call it out you know the climate has changed quite a bit but i was never tolerant of it because what you end up with is mediocre photography if you're constantly playing games so it's always going to be much better for photography for it to have a healthy mix of genders or gender identities I have had experiences throughout my career in the education system where I feel that sexism has been at work. And I don't think it's as bad as the commercial world of photography, but essentially it does actually feel that it's everywhere. I don't know what you think, Hannah. Yeah, it is everywhere. I mean, it, and it's fueled by our visual culture and the pornographication of our visual culture. It's so embedded in the industry, basically objectifying women or trying to control them in some way, you know, that element is still very much there because power doesn't give up easily. I always thought just through sheer numbers, you know, the sheer amount of women that are attracted to the medium and are being educated or, you know, wanting to be a photographer, that just the critical mass would change the balance within the industry. But it hasn't, it hasn't. It seems to be that the critical mass is there, but the balance isn't changing. It would be interesting to know to what extent it's still difficult for women within the industry, what the barriers are, what the experiences are, because 
I guess I'd have a fair idea talking to women about photography over the last 25 years, what's going on, but it's so abstract that almost it needs a central hub to be able to record what's actually going on for women within the industry. So we need some information, don't we? Yeah, I think uh, it would probably be a very good idea. In the UK, they have a website for school children and university students called Everyone's Invited, where you can anonymously post, I guess, experiences that you've had around sexual harassment within institutions and kind of, in a way, collect this information to see how big the problem is. And I know, certainly in the UK at the minute, the problem of sexual harassment for girls in education is a massive problem. I think recently there was research done where it showed 100% of girls have experienced sexual harassment within the education environment. So who knows what it's like in the workplace, but I think it's definitely time to be asking these questions. And have the support of other women in calling it out. Because you see women like you, Hannah, and me and Anna, we're quite strong. We'll call it out on our own often, you know? A lot of women, they need the support of other women to do it. What concerns me most is, given that our education system, you know, photography, fine art, or commercial or whatever else, degrees, you know, they are predominantly female, young women, and I just want to make sure that they are fully informed and prepared for how the industry can work in terms of hierarchies and abuses of power. It's very interesting and so true that Hannah highlighted what proportionally the photographies and education now dominating by women, but we are still struggling with the numbers in a way on the top lines of the photography world. So what you, Anna, as educator, so to say, have been in the universities for so many years, what do you think can help young women to be sort of prepared for the real world, to aim high and reach that high? Well, Maria, I feel like I've been working on this for years and I am so committed to this idea of preparing people for the professional world, both in the art business and in the commercial businesses of photography. It's, I think, a really difficult task. I don't think there's enough information around. But one of the most vital things is having really excellent role models. And, you know, luckily these days, there are a lot of great women photographers in teaching and working with students. So that's incredibly important. We need to learn how to teach people to be ambitious. And that's quite tricky. But essentially, we just need more examples and more information about how women have made it. How do they run their business models? How do they work around other aspects of their lives? All these sorts of things fill emerging women photographers with more confidence. It's essentially a confidence building task a lot of the time. And what I also think Fast Forward offers in that sense is that we offer in international role models we introduce into the women curators photographers writers who are doing their career and try to be professionals not just based in the uk but also somewhere else yeah during this podcast we've primarily been speaking about women's experience in the uk but you're right fast forward is absolutely dedicated to being an international organisation and addressing diversity in more ways than just the gender balance or the gender imbalance, I should say. And someone I was particularly keen to talk to is Aldady Delgado. 
Oh, I don't know when I first met Old Lady, but I certainly met her in person at our Take conference where she gave a fantastic presentation on the women in the Cuban photography clubs. Waffa are now one of our partners in Fast Forward and we hope to go on to make many um, collaborative projects with them in the future. And we are certainly part of their congress in Miami. We met sadly during the Fast Forward conference, How Do Women Work at the Tate? You know, it was an incredible opportunity to be there and present the work that I have been doing with the Project Catalog of Cuban Women Photographers, which is the first comprehensive approach to Cuban photography history with a feminist perspective going from the 19th century through the present. After working with this project, I decided to create WOFA, Women Photographers International Archive, in 2018 as an organization to promote research, support, and educate about the contributions of those who identified as women in photography. Were you involved in photography as a young person at all or not, just when you got to university? I love photography. That was a medium that specifically speaks to me. I always mention, because in my family, that's very curious if we think as a black person, how photography was accessible to them. I am still thinking about it. I am curious how my grandmother, she didn't like people to take pictures of herself. And then I have this problem in which most of my grandmothers, they pass away very young, so I don't have like photographs of them. And I think that those elements always were very important for me and how every time that I see an artwork that is about memory, I relate with this kind of practice. And then when I was in the university, I always have had this idea of curatorial activism in a certain way on how through my work I can be a platform for other artists or for getting recognition for the artists, trying to think of myself on a kind of bridge at the same time. So I was asking how I can make a contribution to the history of Cuban art at that moment. There were like few publications about Cuban photography history, but then when you go to find information about women photographers, they simply don't exist at that moment in 2013. So that's how I said, okay, I will dedicate myself to a study about this topic and that's how everything started and then when I came to Miami I found that, that there was like a similar scenario. I relate a lot with the work that you have been doing in Fast Forward and for us as well the idea of collaboration is key in how the organization works. That is crucial if we are thinking about the manifesto and how to increase its impact. What do you think are the key problems for women in the United States of America and Cuba, as you've been looking at Cuba as well, for them working in photography? One of the first issues that I find is the lack of spaces. In Cuba, there are not any dedicated school to photographic art, so it was a very precarious infrastructure in terms of which one would be the trajectory of an artist that wants to dedicate uh, themselves to the photographic arts. If you don't have a school, if you don't have uh, like specific programming or exhibitions dedicated to exploring the history of photography in that specific context, and if you don't have like a generation of art historians or curators that also are trained or have the background to approach to your practice, that creates kind of fractures that makes hard the process of becoming a photographer. 
if you don't have access to internet. That is something that when you live in a country like Cuba, when you don't have the access to internet or where the access to internet is for those that have better economic position. So that create lack of balance in terms of how to get to know about portfolio reviews, about Zoom conference, something that right now we consider like the most accessible ways to access to information, but then in some areas that is not possible. If we go to Miami, here we don't have either dedicated museum to photographic arts. One of the challenges is the lack of spaces dedicated to analyzing and reflecting about contemporary and modern art practices of photography. And at the same time, education is a key component as well. What role do you think, for example, local and national and international governments could play in terms of making higher the sort of understanding of photography and of women photographers? And do you think that would bring more funding? That's a hard question. I would speak from my experience with WOFA and even how I am applying right now is the first time that I am applying to some government grants. So I would see what happens. But definitely, I consider that we should get more support because why we need to support initiatives dedicated to photography or why we need to support women photographers or even feminist artwork. And in that sense, my belief is that photography is one of the most powerful mediums to reach people. And if we want to create an impact in our world, thinking in social justice, creating more programming that goes to face, to confront that gender imbalance that we have in our society. So if we want to show another way to see the world, I think that photography is key to achieve that. And at the same time, how through photography we can explore public spaces, how we can reach more communities. So that's what I consider that is crucial to have support from governmental institutions. Do you feel like things are changing in the last five years? And if yes, what do you think has pushed that change? Well, I think that for women photographers, things have changed, of course, and all the social movement, if we're thinking Black Lives Matter movement, Me Too movement, have created biggest impact in the sense of how, for example, feminism is not that word that is scaring people, you know, at this moment, how we used to be in, for example, in 2013. So do you think a manifesto like the one we have could be developed and useful in the United States and places like Cuba? Of course, that's why when you launch the manifesto, I love it because we have a lot of synergies and that's why we like that we are partners because we have several elements in common in think of how we are thinking about photography and the role of women in photographic arts. And yes, I think that it can be applied to any place and this can be our guidelines. We need to establish like temporality. We need to say, okay, let's work with these goals for at least 10 years. And then in 10 years or in five years, let's see how we have been going. I think that's the way in which we can track our work and also get more support if we are, you know, a bigger community and we have like very defined objectives. So for sure, I completely support the manifesto. And I think that it needs to be endorsed for more people. I was looking at the last point, number eight, which says 
a group of sector leaders, including the Fast Forward Research Group, to work together to affect change for women photographers and audiences in all aspects of our society. And I really think you've already told me that we could add another point about collaboration with international partners to work together. Would that be something you think we could add and develop? One of the ideas that brought me to the creation of the inaugural WAFA Congress was this need to establish or to set what are the conditions for women today. I mean, we have been speaking about making visible women's work, but at this moment, I think we have seen the increased amount of initiatives, groups, organizations that are creating work for promoting women's practices. So for me, the question is, what is next? And I created the Congress specifically with the idea of bringing together all of these women photography organizations. For the first time, we are putting at the center the idea of photography as a collaborative practice and how getting together, we can find ways in which we can expand our work. Most of us, we volunteer a lot of hours for doing our practices. We are not affiliated with an institution. So I think we need to find ways of how we make our world sustainable in a long-term scenario. And finding this collaboration, sometimes as a curator myself, I receive a lot of invitations for doing programming in museums, in universities. So it would be great how through establishing these partnerships with other organizations that have similar programming, we can impact or we can increase our visibility. So that's my think on terms of collaboration. I think it's crucial to make our world more powerful. For example, I have a big audience of Cuban women photographers, but also women photographers from the Caribbean, from Latin America. If I collaborate with you, I will bring all of this experience to the project that we are doing. So it's a way for all these voices at the same time. One of the things we're looking at in all of our new grant applications, and we are making many, is looking at how to internationalise the manifesto for women in photography. I think after talking to some of our partners and people we've worked with in the past, and also Al Daly, that it's very important to collaborate on this and to make it work as an international project. In our next episode, we will be looking at the role of galleries and art organizations when it comes to better representation to female photographers and to showcasing subject matter that is more representative and inclusive. Putting Ourselves in the Picture is part of an Arts and Humanities Research Council UK Research Initiative Quality, Diversity and Inclusion Fellowship awarded to me at Fast Forward Women in Photography. The project works in partnership with Autograph, Impressions Gallery Bradford, National Galleries of Scotland, Women for Refugee Women and Workshow Grow. This podcast was produced by Anna Fox and Maria Capaiva with audio production by Lucia Scatzocchio from Social Broadcasts.